Every spacecraft that NASA builds is so unique, whether they orbit Saturn or the Earth. Let's talk to an instrument engineer that creates the commands that tell our instruments what to measure. Space is not this gatekeeper that says, if you didn't make it after college, then it's not for you. Space is a place for everyone. Hi, I'm Jim Green, and this is a new season of Gravity Assist. We're going to explore the inside workings of NASA in making these fabulous missions happen. I'm here with Janelle Wellens, and she is an engineer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, or JPL, and it's in Pasadena, California. She has worked on missions to the moon and Saturn, and right now, also here at Earth. Welcome, Janelle, to Gravity Assist. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Well, I'm as, I'm just as excited having you because we're going to talk about your activity and what led you to JPL. How did how did you get your what I would say your dream job, right? Right, right. <laughs> it was definitely not a clear shot. I could tell you that much. <laughs> so you know, I'm a kid, in New Jersey. Neither of my parents are in the sciences or engineering, uh, but. My parents from a young age instilled in me that curiosity was always going to be a good thing. And so that meant when I went to Toys R Us, I didn't just have to go into the pink aisle with all the Barbie dolls and the kitchen sets. <laughs> I was allowed to go to the blue aisle too. And that cool. made all the difference for me thinking about what my future could be. But it also kind of led to some issues. <laughs> I call them issues, but maybe they're not so much of issues because I got to high school and realized that all of the classmates around me, they knew exactly what they wanted to do. And I didn't even know where to start. It wasn't something that was at the forefront because my parents, they also didn't graduate from any four-year universities, but I was actually getting mail addressed to me from colleges all around the nation, colleges they had never heard of talking about their track programs, talking about, oh, we have this kind of math major, this kind of literature. It was amazing, but it was also overwhelming. I was taking these letters, I was storing them in a container underneath my bed. And when I ran out of room in the container, they were going in the trash can. <laughs> okay. And my mom turns and happens to notice there's a pamphlet for a school called the Massachusetts Institute of Technology was a school I had never heard of in my life. <laughs> but my mom, thank goodness for my mom, she had heard of this school. And she said, you need to look at this. This is a great school. Yes, MIT. <laughs> MIT. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did look at it. We spread it out on the kitchen table. And it was talking about how they had this summer program for juniors going into their senior year. Mm. And you're going to learn all about the sciences and you're going to be with all these other students from around the nation. And if you get in, it's also totally free of cost, which my mom saw that part. And she's like, you're applying to this. <laughs> <laughs> I went back and realized that the previous year they had over 2000 applicants and only admitted one person from New Jersey. Like, oh, well, it's a wrap. I'm definitely not getting 
getting it. I mean, come on. I'm not even top of my class in the middle of nowhere, New Jersey. Sorry. I just didn't think, you know, why would they choose me? I'm not the perfect SAT. I'm not the perfect grades. And so when my mom called me that spring saying, you need to rush home. There's a package in the mail. I'm like, well, what? we already went over this, but fine. I'll come home. And I opened it up and saw that word, congratulations. It changed my life. All right. So then you graduate. How did you get to JPL from there? Well, I was taking all these classes in my major and my professors kept on talking about this NASA JPL place. See that three letter word? It was just everywhere. Oh, let's pretend we're going to land something on Mars like JPL. Let's pretend we're going to send a spacecraft out of our solar system like JPL. It's like this name just kept coming up, coming up. And suddenly a place I didn't know, I, I started to know. And I started to become really interested in working for JPL. I mean, cool space robotics. Like, if I'm going to study aerospace engineering, then I want to work for them. They seem super cool. And so because of that, of course, I was going for the internship every year, getting in that line at the career fair, holding my resume, listening to my classmates in front of me talking about all their cool projects, hoping that maybe I'll be cool too. But I never landed the internship. And I'm glad that it happened the way that it did because I realized that even I didn't believe that I was an engineer at that point. It took until my senior year to really start getting the confidence that I belonged here. And I remember it was right around Thanksgiving that I got a phone call. Phone call was coming from, I believe, someone in HR saying, Hey, has anyone talked to you about salary yet? Salary? (laughs) Wait a second. Did I get the job? He's like, oh, wait, you didn't hear that yet? Yes, you did. I said, excuse me while I put him on mute. (laughs) And I had the biggest celebration you can imagine right there in my dorm room, jumping up and down. I couldn't believe it. I finally landed the job at JPL. And not long after that, when I graduated from MIT, I flew out to California for maybe the third time in my entire life and started my new life here working there. Fantastic. Well, you followed your passion. And because of that, you met your goals and they are lofty goals. So your first mission at JPL was Cassini, I found out. Uh, Well, can you tell me more about what you did working on Cassini? Absolutely. So I'm starting at JPL. I'm a new person, nervous all over again because you got the job. Now it's time to prove yourself, right? And when I was hired, I was hired into a group that does instrument operations engineering. But to be quite honest, I really did not know what that was. You know, between the interviews and talking to all the people, your excitement can get the best of you. And you're just excited to be there. And soon I found out that this this job of instrument operations engineering basically meant that I could do some of the coolest things imaginable. Because on Cassini, I learned what that job title was all about. It was about 
basically operating the scientific instruments that we put on the spacecraft that go to all these places so that we can learn more about them. The how, the why, the what, all those questions asked by the scientists, I was there to make it happen. And so I was trained on Cassini to generate commands that had the ones and zeros, the machine language that our instruments could understand. And in particular on this mission, I was commanding the imaging science subsystem and the visible and infrared mapping spectrometer, what I kind of like to call them fancy space cameras, because the end product that you got from these instruments were these absolutely beautiful images of Saturn, its rings, its moons. I mean, seeing those images come down and realizing that we're there, we captured this. This isn't this isn't an artist rendition. <laughs> this is real. Yeah. I remember sending them to my yeah. friends and they just they couldn't believe it. I yeah. couldn't either. But that was my job, commanding these instruments, these cameras, and getting back these wonderful pictures. And the other half of it was making sure that things were running smoothly. You know, we kind of talk about instruments and spacecraft like they're people sometimes, making sure they're healthy and safe. And I kind of like to compare my job to somewhat like a doctor and their patient. You know, you come in, you're not feeling so well. They look at the charts and, oh, your blood levels are spiking. Oh, your temperature's high. It's the same thing that we're doing every day that we come into work. We're looking at the charts of the instrument. Is the voltages doing okay? The currents, the temperatures, all the commands, are they executing the right way? And over time, you really get to know how your instrument behaves and when things are going well or even when they're not going well, even if it's not because it's out of a limit, just because you have a good understanding of how it works. Cassini was actually in this really amazing part of its journey was at the end we were approaching vastly approaching the grand finale of the cassini mission that's right and while you were doing that you know while you were out there working on the instrument i was at nasa headquarters and uh i i don't know how you felt when uh, we decided uh, cassini needed to die by plunging into saturn uh in 2017 but um I'm the one that signed off on it. Are you serious? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yep, 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 yep. It was uh it was something that had to be done because the what we found in terms of the possible life on Enceladus in Titan was such a fantastic moon that we just couldn't risk the spacecraft hitting either one of those moons. So we we needed uh, we needed to plunge it into the atmosphere. So how did you feel when that happened? I felt honored. I'm meeting the man who oh, signed yeah. line. Who <laughs> yeah. brought the end to Cassini, a very fitting end to Cassini, too. When I heard that news, honestly, I was so excited. I could not believe my luck. I'm on my first project at JPL, and you're telling me that we are purposefully going to destroy a spacecraft? I'm like, what is the next opportunity that this is going to happen for me? I was psyched. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was me, but um, JPL proposed it. 
this fabulous mission of jumping in between the rings and the clouds of Saturn. Wow, what's not to like about that? You learned so much from that. I realized over time that I needed to kind of keep my excitement on the inside a little bit because I got the feeling that maybe not everyone around me was quite as excited as I was to yes. see this happen. They were very sad. They were. I know. I, you know. So I was in the control room when it happened, and it was you a rather were. somber affair. I was at Caltech, and we were watching on right. the screens everybody right. at Mission Control. Mm-hmm. And at the end, when everyone stood up and we announced the end and people were hugging, I saw my boss and he was crying, like ugly tears crying. Yeah, I know. And when I saw him do that, I started crying. Like, it was the hardest I ever had. This team was like a family and they were the family that welcomed yep. me to That's California. Right. And uh, it was going to be the start of the end to that, too. Maybe at JPL, but of course not in our personal lives outwards. We still meet. I'll never forget it because of that. Well, after Cassini, uh, did you get involved in uh, your next big mission? Was it the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter? Yes, it was. So while I was working on Cassini, I started to learn about that project. And I started to learn that half my time would be spent on the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. And so I joined that team and it was in stark contrast to the Cassini team because of the sheer size of it. So I went from working with all these people to being on a team of five at JPL. And it was a big change, but a very cool one. It kind of showed me that there are so many differences in the missions that we operate and how we go about them and what the team dynamic Mm -hmm. is. In this case, on LRO, I was going to be operating the diviner instrument. That's a radiometer. And so being on LRO was very cool because, one, I remember being able to go outside at night, look at the moon and say, we're there. Like, Mm -hmm. we're there. Yeah, that's right. And in the very beginning, I was sending commands in real time, like on the headset with the folks out at NASA Goddard who were in in charge of operating the spacecraft and getting all the official lingo, like command on the way or go for uplink. It was just so (laughs) cool. (laughs) The miner is a fabulous instrument measuring the temperature of the surface. This is how we know those permanently shadowed areas are colder than the surface of Pluto. And it's from the diviner instrument on LRO. Colder than Pluto. That's really cool. <laughs> they are. They are. You know, and so volatiles fall in them. You know, water's in there. And, and it's just not coming out because it's just frozen solid. So that's one of the reasons why LRO is such a fabulous mission. Now, it's still operating. Are yeah. you still involved in that or did you go on to something else? I'm working on three Earth missions, which is not something I ever imagined for myself coming to JPL, because like I said earlier, I knew them from the Mars and the Venus and the Sun and Saturn. I didn't really know them for Earth. Come to find out, though, Earth is one, a planet, (laughs) and two, our home. So why wouldn't we be doing all this great science for our own planet? 
And so while I was working on LRO, I started to get introduced to this project called the Multi-Angle Imager for Aerosols. I didn't know much about it, but I was told by my supervisor, this is something you want to be involved in early on. I said, yes, (laughs) ma'am. I definitely trust your judgment. And she was right. I joined that project very early on. And um, I think what makes this project truly special is that its mission is something that is absolutely, absolutely going to impact people here on Earth. Because Maya, Maya is this instrument, it's a camera, of course, the fancy space camera, that's going to be measuring particulate matter or pollution in cities all over the world. And by measuring this pollution, they're also going to be doing health studies in those same areas. So in addition to Maya, you're also working on a couple other Earth science missions. What are they? Yes, I am also working on a mission called Sentinel-6 that launched last November. I was on the team then, wish I was, because, oh man, can you imagine your project being launched, just the adrenaline to be there, to see your accomplishment? But I'm so happy I'm on it now, because when I joined, they were doing a lot of very cool activities to make sure the instruments were performing the way they should be. And so I got to do that real-time stuff again on the console. Everybody paying attention? Are we ready? <laughs> Watching the telemetry or the monitoring, the, t- the temperatures, the voltages, the things we spoke about before. And I'm also on this project called SWAT. And SWAT is not yet in space, but it is making its way surely there. It's in the lab. It's being integrated, put together, tested. We're in that phase of development. And it's my job in that capacity to figure out, once again, how we operate this once it actually gets up in space. Now, of course, uh, Sentinel-6 is also called uh, Michael Freilich. And Michael Freilich uh, was the... Uh, division director of earth science when I was the planetary science uh, director. And so Mike and I were good friends um, and he has passed away and and I'm delighted that uh, Sentinel-6 has been named after him. I wish I had had the pleasure to meet him and sounds like you were really good friends. I'm sorry for your loss, but so happy because his legacy obviously is, is living on. Well, you know, I know you enjoy public outreach activities. And, and, and so when you talk, what does the public want to know? You know, when I talk, my goal, my mission is, it may be, seem like it's a simple one, but it's just to inspire at least one person in the room. I don't care who it is, because inspiration doesn't stop when you're just a kid. Space is not this gatekeeper that says, if you didn't make it after college and it's not for you, space is a place for everyone. So when I do outreach, my goal is specifically to talk to people who may not think that it's possible for them to one day work for NASA. Kind of the same way I wasn't exactly thinking it was possible for me to one day and share with them that not only did my journey feel very much full of chances, opportunities. Maybe it wouldn't have even happened if not for a pamphlet in the mail, but also not giving up after the first bit of failure of rejection. That's a part of what actually helps you grow. It helps you get better. 
And so that's the message that I like to share so that by the end, there's someone out there who may not have thought that this was for them, who now thinks I can do it too. Janelle, you work in the diversity and inclusion activities at JPL. What's that like and what do you guys do? I got into the diversity, inclusion, and equity part of the lab, honestly, because when I came into JPL, I was looking for that community. I was wondering to myself, you know, I'm out here in California by myself. You know, my whole family is back on the East Coast and here I am. It would just really be great if I had a community of people, specifically of Black engineers who can relate to my experience in a lot of ways that I could just talk to. And so after doing some digging, we found there was an organization out there, but they had kind of been dormant doing maybe one event per year. And I proposed, do you mind if me and some of my friends revive this? Can we make this something new? And they gave us the total thumbs up of support. And that's exactly what we did. And at first we went from building the community. Let's all go for a hike. Let's meet in the cafeteria for games on Friday during lunch. But we were able to grow so much more beyond that, especially with the help of the other employee resource groups at the lab. And we went from building that community to using that community to institute real change that can only improve NASA as a whole to make that future for those who never imagined themselves in a place like this, who maybe have never pictured themselves as an engineer because maybe they've never seen someone who looks like them in that space. So now, we're out there doing outreach for K through 12. We're going to the conventions. We're recruiting. We are helping the lab with creating new events to allow employees to talk with each other about the experiences that we go through to really just make that inclusive environment that NASA is all about. And so I'm so proud to be involved in all those efforts, and I'm looking forward to all the great things that will come from it. Well, that's fantastic. Because Janelle, as you know so well, many of our young students don't see a future in some of these things. They don't even know what's going on in some areas. So getting them exposed and being that you know role model that you are is a huge step to help them on their way. And I'm sure you're giving gravity assists along the way. Well, Janelle, I always like to ask my guests to tell me what was that event or person, place, or thing that got them so excited about being the engineer they are today. I call that event a gravity assist. So Janelle, what was your gravity assist? My gravity assist happened my freshman year at MIT. So I come out of that program. I was so excited to be there. And I realized that I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. I knew that math was cool for sure. I absolutely loved math. And I convinced myself I was going to become a theoretical mathematician. And all these upperclassmen were telling me, you know, MIT is a school that's known for its engineering. So we're just going to encourage you to take at least one introductory class to engineering. And all right. But then I came across one called aerospace engineering. And I was the type of kid 
who was up watching Jimmy Neutron building a rocket in his backyard and launching his face, thinking, how can I be the kid in the neighborhood that does the same thing? And, you know, the black hole videos late at night. You know, space is cool. I don't know many people who don't think so. And so how about I give that one a try? And this is when the gravity assist comes in. Because I'm in the class on the first day and the professor is going over the syllabus. And he's talking about how we're going to learn the rocket equation. We're going to learn about how planes fly. And we're also going to learn a little bit about the history of space flight. And he shows this image of an astronaut fixing the Hubble telescope. And I remember looking at that and thinking, this is unreal. Some people really, they have a job that lets them work on something in space. And then my professor, Professor uh, Jeffrey Hoffman, says that he is the man in the photo. Yes, he is. Jeff is a very (sighs) good friend of mine. Wow. I mean, I think I may have been the only person in the room who didn't know who he was prior to that class, because I seemed to be the only one with my jaw on the desk in disbelief that I was in the same room as an astronaut. Are you serious? Never met anyone from NASA in my life. You're telling me my professor is an astronaut? That moment, that moment was everything for me. Because I couldn't imagine turning down the opportunity to learn aerospace engineering from someone like him. And, you know, I went on to continue in the major knowing nothing about this subject, but learning every step of the way and even doing an internship where he was my mentor over in Italy and then rolling out the red carpet for him because he had flown with the Italians to space. I mean, he doesn't even know this. He likely does not know this. But he was the gravity assist that really set me on this path to be here at JPL. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Janelle, thanks so much for joining me and discussing your fantastic career. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Well, join me next time as we continue our journey to look under the hood at NASA and see how we do what we do. I'm Jim Green, and this is your Gravity Assist. Gravity Assist is going to be taking a mid-season break. Come back in October when we'll discuss the Lucy mission to the Trojan asteroids, space weather, and much, much more. In the meantime, Check out other NASA podcasts at nasa.gov slash podcasts.